Welcome to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And if by now you can't tell that something's different, it's because I introduced the episode, and that means that we're actually not going to be reviewing a comic book per se, but we will be talking about something comic-related. Isn't that right, Adam? That is, in fact, right. In fact, we will be talking about a, a brand new comic book uh, coming out, coming soon. Does it have anything to do with the X-Men? Ah, uh, mm, I, I would have to say so, yeah. Oh, okay, all right, because I, I couldn't quite guess yet by the title, but when we get into it, we'll, we'll, we'll really discuss it. So we've got, uh, we've got a couple of writers with us, uh, one of which is named Chris Sims, the other one is named Chad Bowers. Uh, they are working on a little project that you might have heard of. It's, uh, it's coming on the heels of Secret Wars, this big new Marvel 2015 summer event. Uh, it is uh, affectionately called X-Men 92. I do also want to say that they're working with Scott Koblish and colorist Matt Milley, so I, or Milev, sorry. I don't want to leave them out. But on the line, we got Chris Sims and Chad Bowers. And for the sake of our listeners who may not be caught up with all of the media that you guys have been exposed to, introduce yourselves by saying, hey, I'm Chris and I'm Chad, so that we can get like the vocal tonality differences down. Okay. Uh, hi, this is Chris Sims. And I'm Chad. Sorry. No, uh, I'm Chad Bowers. Chad, if you could just talk like that throughout the entire interview, I would be immensely entertained. That's right. That's my, uh, yeah. I, I could probably like pull it off for a good third of it, but by then I'd probably have to stop. Fantastic. So for those of you who are not quite in the know, X-Men 92 drops digitally on May 24th, and the print comes out to your favorite comic shop uh, June 26th. We got those dates right, correct? No, I think yep. you got them backwards. I think it's it's May twenty sixth in print and June twenty. That's right, and twenty fourth or yeah. uh, May twenty May twenty sixth in <laughs> digital, June twenty fourth in print. That's right. I swear, I have a little bit of dyslexia. Just ask Adam about how I spell things. <laughs> Look, I couldn't even say it, and I'm literally looking at my calendar. Digital's the last Tuesday of this month, and print's the last Wednesday in June. All right, there you go, everybody. Reserve your copy right now. Before we really get into X-Men 92, I'm just kind of curious uh, if you could maybe talk a little bit about some of the other projects uh, that you've worked on and maybe a little bit about how you got involved with comics in the first place. Well, Chad and I have been writing together since uh, late 2007. Um, we used to work together at a comic book store, and we had a friend named Jim Shelley, uh, who was starting up a, a digital comics thing called Flashback Universe, uh, which were basically, he wanted to do uh, what were essentially like one-shots of this superhero universe that was sort of a riff on the Bronze Age, uh, Bronze Age Marvel. Like, he had a character who was like his Doctor Doom, a character who was like his Nova, a character who was like his Spider-Man and his Fantastic Four. And... Uh, Chad and I had actually written a couple of stories separately for him because we were, you know, very interested in writing already, obviously. Uh, and we were talking at the store where we worked one day and, and we kind of came up for this idea because I really wanted to do a Power Man and Iron Fist for, for Jim. Uh, and <laughs> Chad and I had a conversation and, and over the course of it, we came up with the idea of uh, it's, it's Power Man and Iron Fist, but instead of having indestructible skin... Uh, the Power Man character would have an indestructible car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which would be, it's the only thing that could be more 70s than, <laughs> than actual Power Man and Iron Fist. It was, instead of being, you know, uh, uh, Chuck Norris and Jim Brown teaming up, it was 
uh, Jim Kelly and Burt Reynolds. Nice. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so we wrote that together, uh, and we ended up not doing it for for Jim. We ended up doing it kind of as our own thing. Um, although, if you go looking for for it, there's you can read those original Flashback Universe comics, the first comics that Chad and I ever got paid to write. <laughs> uh, they're still up online. I did a I did a Christmas one. Wow! Uh, and Chad did a Chad did one about the the Iron Man sort of character. Yeah. Uh, well, the Captain and, America character. Oh yeah, Captain America. Sorry, Captain. Yeah. Uh, who, who had a great hook. I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. He was he was Captain America. Uh, his name was Paladin, and he had this costume where he was wearing a suit of armor. He had a sword and shield. But underneath the armor, he was Frankenstein. Which <laughs> 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 is genius. It's funny. It's funny now that you're talking about it, Chris. I think I think it's weird. Like, for, for those people who might not still have a good idea of what, what Flashback was like, it's like Astro City without the man on the street angle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, isn't was, that a, isn't that a pretty apt description of it? Like, it, it it basically is the stories, but without like the the characters, the powerless characters, or the 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 outside of the action character describing it. I think that's what it yeah, feels like to me. It was just all it was just all like issues of Marvel two and one. Oh, <laughs> like oh. every everything that was put out was like an issue of Marvel two and one. Um, but we did uh the story that would eventually be called the Hard Ones. Uh on our own and we kind of shot that around. Like we, we submitted it to image, never heard back, okay. <laughs> which was a great sign. Well, that's um, not true. We, we did run into Eric Larson at a heroes con one year and he said, yeah, this looks like something we might publish. <laughs> so uh, about what year are you trying to shop the hard ones around? That was 2008. No, it was, yeah, it was 2007 when we started running it. It was two, about probably 2008 or maybe even 2009. Okay. Yeah, 2007, 2008. So still, you got to show your work to, to Eric Larson. What, what did he have to say? I mean, other than we should publish this. Yeah, he didn't like our first inker that we had. Uh, he did like the artwork. And uh, yeah, I mean, by that point, I'd seen Eric Larson like every year for the, like the last seven years. So I, he, he remembered me, which was kind of cool. Oh, OK. But yeah. uh, at, the, at the time, he was not interested in, in, in buying it immediately. OK. Which I don't know why. I don't know why people would want to just give two dudes... <laughs> uh, an ongoing series right off the bat. But have you have you guys seen that trailer for what's the what's the last Fast and the Furious movie? Is it Furious Seven? Is that what it was called? I believe it's Furious Seven. Yeah. Yeah. You know where you know where they, in the trailer they jump that car through one building and land in the other building. There, I guess it's the is it the Dubai Towers or whatever they're in. I don't know what the 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 is it the Burj Khalifa. I, I don't know. I don't know what. But anyway, yeah, they jump a car, right? Like they they jump a car from one building to another building, like through the building, not like on the roof, but like through the 75th floor and land on like the 68th floor or whatever on the other building. We totally did that in the hard ones. Yeah. That was, that's the centerpiece of our, uh, yeah. of the comic. Um, but we ended up showing it to some editors from Oni, uh, and they liked it. They didn't like it enough to give us an ongoing series, which in retrospect was probably a good idea, but they liked it enough to give us a backup to see how we worked with a deadline and worked with different characters. And that did really well. We did a backup in a book called Resurrection um, uh, that was really fun to do. And then we did uh, – they gave us a graphic novel. Like we pitched a graphic novel. And uh, that actually finally came out in February of last year. It was February 2014. Um, hundred was 144 pages mm-hmm. that we did with uh, Scott Kowalczyk who is really, really great. Um, and yeah, that was called Downset Fight. And uh, – that kind of, you know, got us the Marvel job. Like we, you know, we gave a copy to uh, Tom Brevoort at Emerald City. I don't know if he ever read it. 
I, I know that there are two people who own copies that I have no idea if they read it, and it was uh, uh, Tom Brevoort and CM Punk, because uh, one of the guys at Oni, CM Punk, was walking by at San Diego, and he just gave him a copy of Dunset Fight. And so I, I assume that copy was, like, in the trash can around the corner from the Oni booth. Uh, immediately thereafter. Brevor did recommend it on his Tumblr one time. So we at least know that he knows what it's about. He knows it exists. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he didn't just throw it away. When you come up to uh, and, and you have one of these projects, obviously you must have some sort of a completed package, right? You've got the whole book ready to go. How do you get your artist and your ink? Are these also friends of yours or people that you're maybe recruiting off of the internet? How, how does that work? Well, as you see, a lot of our earliest stuff, yeah, it was just people we'd met on the internet, uh, friends, uh, fans of Chris's uh, Invincible Super blog uh, that he had done at the time, just different people who who were interested in working with us after we put calls out on on Twitter and and uh, different different outlets like that. So yeah, that that's initially how it worked out. Um, and then from there, you know, with like with the flashback stuff, I mean, Jim would kind of assign us an artist. He'd have artists that were that had pitched uh, their their art and pages to him, and he would assign uh, us an artist. And then, uh, you know, when we got the Oni gig, um, Oni had, Oni had, uh, I think been looking for a project for Scott Kowalczyk who had done, um, the Intrepids at Image with, uh, Curtis Weeb, and he had, uh, wanted to do some stuff at Oni after that. And, and they partnered him up with us and we, we really clicked and kind of, kind of went from there. Um, you know, and, and, and pretty much since then it's really been with the exception of our monkey brain book, which we actually, uh, asked Erica to do that with us pretty much from, from. From there, it's been uh, the publisher um, or editor assigning us an artist or, or partnering us up with an artist. We did about 100, 100 odd strips of a webcomic called Awesome Hospital with an artist named Matt Diggs. Uh, oh, and I should say that uh, Rusty Shackles was the artist who drew the hard ones and uh, our, our resurrection backup. And he was a, a guy that I had known from from blogging. Uh, Matt Diggs, who did Awesome Hospital, was another guy that we had known from blogging. And like we like we wrote the weirdest eight pages like we gave him the weirdest character descriptions like yeah he's a doctor and he's he's never not riding a dirt bike and this guy's a baby from space with a jetpack and like he got it like immediately and and matt became like a really really good friend of ours over the course of that just you know because of working with him and then our letterer on most of these projects Honestly, I think I think the marvel books the only thing he hasn't lettered for us is Josh Grock who's a a, a Longtime friend of ours. You didn't put that into your contract or writer or anything. <laughs> I did suggest him. I did. Uh, I did say, "Hey, uh, hey, uh, we we do have a, a guy who's really good at lettering." Uh, I said, "No dice." But, yeah, you got to use those trademark Marvel letters. <laughs> got to get them, man. <laughs> get those Marvel letters. We actually also asked. We also asked for Tom Morzikowski. Tom Morzikowski, yeah. And I, I think he was busy. No, no offense to Josh. I think we asked for Tom Morzikowski first. <laughs> and then then we asked for Josh. What is Tom Morzikowski doing these days? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't, <laughs> not, let, I, not lettering our comic. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what Morzikowski's doing. Hopefully making all the money in the world. No kidding. Uh, right. From X-Men reprints. Yeah. How about this? I think there's been a lot of articles and hype and now we've already seen a little bit of secret wars uh through secret wars number one which came out what a couple of days ago what can you guys tell us from a cliff's notes perspective about secret wars for maybe the uninitiated who's who's only listened to our (laughs) podcast and has no idea that you know 25 (laughs) years from the point that we're at now a secret another secret wars is going to happen and make a, a big mess of the marvel universe 
What can you tell uh, us? Uh, and and also, like, what is it? Uh, what does it mean for everything that we've read up to the point of 2015? Well, here's what we can tell you. Yes. Pretty much nothing. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, uh-huh. that's you know, what I was wondering. <laughs> no, no, I'll dial that back for a second. Like, the cat's pretty much out of the bag on most of the big stuff for Secret Wars. Maybe not like the big stuff, but like at, at the very least, the setup. All right. We can confirm that the 90s X Men are the real X Men now. Okay. And that's just going to be the 90s X-Men from now on. Yeah, yeah. And it's always going to be 1992. You've, you've just ruined every question for the rest of this interview. No, um, we'll figure out how to tie that in. Well, Chad, yeah, do, you wanna, do you want to explain this in, in some vague terms? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, how about, how about this, Jeremy and Adam? How, how do you think Secret Wars is going to work? And <laughs> I, I can, Crap. <laughs> and then I can confirm or deny or, or uh, you know. Say no comment. Yeah, exactly. I was hoping you guys could use a lot of words and essentially say nothing. But uh, I right. like I like how you've reversed the roles. I'm just curious to see how how because I haven't really talked to anybody, Chris. I don't think you have either, right? Like about like how the perception of it is to someone who's not like because because we kind of know obviously, but right. outside of it, I have no idea how, what I what I'd be thinking if I was just you I mean, know reading reading it cold. Just wait till we get to the X Men '92 questions, and you'll find out how little we actually know. So, but before we get to that, let's let's set the groundwork with uh, Secret Wars. Adam, you you go, you start. Well, uh, having just read Secret Wars number one today, I can say that the world has gone kaput. But uh, beyond that, the rest is all just rumors and conjecture. There's there's a lot of talk about. Uh, Mutants becoming inhumans and uh, the battle world, whatever that is. And they've given us uh, – Marvel has given us maps and mm-hmm. areas where uh, there are pocket worlds. Like supposedly mm-hmm. I, I heard today that the X-Men are going to be in a pocket world separate from all the rest of the Marvel heroes. Um, there's talks that uh, Marvel is trying to organize their line to look more like the Marvel Cinematic Universe – which I find that somewhat hard to believe. I, that, that seems like painting yourself into a corner. So I certainly hope that's not true. Well, yeah. So I, so I, that's just a rumor that I read on the internet. And we always know that the internet is 100% correct all the time. But what they were saying is that, you know, since uh, the, the Fox and the Sony and the Marvels and the Disneys own different properties, if they were to align the universe to accommodate that, and then properties were bought up later on down the road, they could be added to the Marvel U- or whatever is the Marvel Universe. Now, obviously, that's probably somebody going off uh, just on their own conjecturing, but I don't know. Yeah, so ultimately what I, I'm saying is we have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, well, that's fine. No, I, I, I think it's very interesting to kind of hear what you guys you know, think about it. Well, I wanted to first take one step back and say, Adam, have you read like the original secret, the Jim Shooter Secret Wars, the one and two from the 80s? No, I have not. Okay. Um, it's been on the to-do list forever, and I'm waiting till we catch up to it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now we want to do it kind of uh, uh, in order of the X-Men. That makes sense the way you guys are doing your show. Yeah. But, uh, so, I mean, I've read The Secret Wars. Uh, I read it when it, not when it originally came up, but when I got into comic books and going through back issues, I read Secret Wars, and I read Secret Wars too. So I know that a batter, battle world is where they took all of the, the heroes from Secret Wars 1. Uh, mm-hmm. Before reading... Uh, Secret Wars 1, I figured that there must be a Beyonder in it, and mm-hmm. now I realize, I think based on what I've read, there are multiple Beyonders that are doing some stuff. <laughs> Had you read any of the Hickman stuff, like the Hickman uh, New Avengers or uh, Avengers run up to Secret Wars, or did you just pick up Secret Wars and read it cold? Can so, I just real quick jump in? Yeah. Jump in here and, and just say one thing. None of this has anything to do with X-Men 92. <laughs> no, I... It, <laughs> no, 
we'll, we'll get there. We're getting there. <laughs> I hope we're getting there. I hope I'm not way off on the wrong tangent. If anybody's out there going, this sounds really complicated, and I don't know, I don't know if I can read this uh, X Men comic. Yeah, this, none of this. Look. None of this comes up in X-Men 92. Well, let's cut to the chase, right? I mean, the whole point of Secret Wars is to just, like, re-baseline everything, right? Yeah, I mean, if you've if you've seen the, sort of. the Battle World map, mm-hmm. then you kind of have an idea of what, what, at least in terms of how it affects us, like, what we're working with. Like, it's I, each different, you know, each different area of, of Battle World is based on either a different era of the Marvel Universe or a different continuity of the Marvel Universe uh, that we've seen over the years. Like, you know, we're doing... X-Men 92, which is based on the X-Men comics that you would have picked up in, in 1992. There's also, uh, there's like a, you know, there's a little civil war place. There's a yep. little, uh, world war Hulk place. There's a Marvel zombies place. So sticking with the X-Men, like there's also a days of, uh, what is it? Future. Years of future past. Years of future past. And there's an inferno and there's an extinction agenda. And, uh, so, that, that that's pretty much all we have to go on is a bunch of titles floating around that mean a lot to us uh, nostalgically, but we have no idea what it could possibly mean going forward. That's pretty exciting, right? Actually, it was. So I hadn't seen uh, any of that map stuff until I I, I just read X Men or I'm sorry, uh, Secret Wars number one today, and I got to that big map where I saw the Extinction Agenda cover and the Inferno cover, and I was like, oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. This sounds like it could be a very expensive endeavor for somebody who wants to start reading all of these stories, which is cool, right? Well, like I guess the only thing to say is, if, imagine you know if you've read the original Secret Wars, you know that the Beyonder like plucked different heroes and different villains and kind of put them uh, at odds on Battle World and right. sort of said kind of kind of fight it out, you know, and and sort of had this weird arbitrary set of rules that he sort of judged them by and all this different stuff. Well, well, you know, the only thing that I can think of with Secret Wars is imagine if that had not been like characters, but instead story arcs. And, uh, you know, alternate Earths and, and different places from alternate Earths and different points in time and little things like that, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the uh, individual characters. Wow. OK. And then, you know, the idea being that maybe this time it's not uh, meant for them to fight it out. Maybe this time it's, you know, about about survival. Um, that's kind of the only thing that I can think of that doesn't necessarily like, you know, let the let the cat out of the bag. But. Uh, in the grand scheme, like, but but honestly, I I don't know. Chris and I really don't know much more beyond what happens in in our little area, which is Westchester, which is where the X Men ninety two stuff takes place. Um, you know, so for the greater scheme of things, uh, you know, our our job is to basically tell our story, which is set within uh, set on Battle World, but inside our little area. Okay, well, that's a good. Segway. So let's let's do this. Let's uh, let's set the stage here. Okay, it is it is 1992. Now this is this is real world. This isn't Marvel Universe. Just to kind of set the stage here. There's no internet as we know it. We got the kids and their Super Nintendos playing Super Mario Kart. We got the kids and their computers playing Wolfenstein 3D. Right. We've got uh, Reservoir Dogs. That's out in the theaters. People are now watching some indie film. Red Hot Chili Peppers are immense. They've just broken. They're singing that bridge song. How did we not have an issue of this comic called Blood Sugar Sex Magic? I'm telling oh. you, you guys, there's still time. It's not too late for rewrites, yeah. Uh, Jim Lee's X-Men, number one, has just dropped, and there's poly bags and cards everywhere. Comic book sales uh, records are broken. The record still stands. And to me, anyways, maybe it was hyped elsewhere because I was a very sheltered person. The X-Men, the animated series, comes out on TV and it is awesome. So my question, with all of that kind of background information set up, 
kind of the era in which we're at. Because you also have to re- remember that 1992 is quite a while ago. So there might be some people that are like, wasn't TV in black and white back then? <laughs> but what are you guys doing? Each one of you take the take a stab at this. What are you guys doing in 1992 at this time? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like super into comics, obviously, at that point in time. Um you know, and I'm probably like doodling and drawing my own characters. I'm probably in the marching band, uh, you know, probably a, a, a uh, I don't think I'm a freshman yet. I think I'm probably like in seventh or eighth grade. What did you um, play in the marching band? How, how did I not know you were in the marching band? And oh, we, man, I was. We've been friends for 15 years. I was in the marching band for like four or five years. Yeah, I, I went all the way up through, I guess, my senior year. I, I don't think I marched my senior year, though. I think I, by then I thought like I was too cool for it uh, while still collecting comics. Uh, obsessively um no like i i I think i was too the reason i bring up the marching band is because i remember when the x-men the animated series was 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 going to premiere um you know they'd been like fox kids had been uh advertising and promoing for like weeks and weeks and weeks and i had a band competition that saturday and i remember that i wasn't home to watch it but when i got home my dad had had taped it uh vhs and so i like wore that vhs that first episode out uh, just watching it over and over again. So I, rem- that, I remember that first episode quite a bit, and that's how I remember it. Um, Night of the Sentinels. Night of the Sentinels, man. So yeah, no, I, I remember. I remember that about that show. Uh, as far as the comics go, I remember, um, you know, like just just the Jim Lee, the the you know, Chris and I have said this more than 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 I think either one of us can count at this point. But the explosion of the '90s, you know what I mean? Like sure. the 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 X Force stuff. The um, you know, really, really just being obsessed with really particularly three artists <laughs> and those artists being Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld and uh, Wills Pertisio sure. of that era of that era and just how much those guys sort of defined that that new X-Men era. But as far as like, you know, what was I doing? I mean, I'm sure I was into like Pearl Jam and Nirvana and uh, I'm sure I probably had maybe one or two uh, flannel t like flannel shirts tied around my waist. All right. How about, how about you, Chris? That's pretty that's pretty early to be getting into Nirvana. You're getting some some hipster cred, I think. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you're a pretty cool kid. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Well, like, I don't know. When did Nevermind come out? Like ninety one? I'm thinking Nevermind was ninety one. Probably around that. Uh, 1992. Chris Sims. Uh, I was watching the hell out of Batman the Animated Series. Oh, okay, okay, yep. Um, that was was and is my forever jam. But like, I mean, look, I love Batman. Like, I used to come home and watch two straight hours of Batman 66 every day because watch Fox 57 would show it, uh, four to five. And then there would be like a cable channel that would show it five to six, you know, two separate two parters. Uh, so I would watch, like, I love Batman. That's like four episodes of Batman 66, isn't it? Cause they were, they were 30 minutes long, weren't they? Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. it was two complete two part adventures. Wow. As a, as a uh, side note, did you pick up the Blu Ray box set? Oh, of course I did. Of course I did. It's, yeah, the I'm ready. Colors are so gorgeous on that thing. It's it's it's. I, well, I actually got it on DVD because when because I use it to write. I'm currently writing a, a Batman '66 episode guide for Comics Alliance, and my my uh, MacBook oh. I have to use a DVD. So I did not actually get it on Blu Ray, but I got the DVDs. And even the DVDs look good. Like you can I'm sure count Commissioner sure Gordon's liver spots if you want. <laughs> in my town, Batman sixty six would air at at four o'clock and and four thirty, similar to what other Fox affiliates were doing. But mine would not run two parts consecutively. So 
if you wanted to see both parts, you would have to watch Monday at 4 o'clock and then Tuesday at 4 o'clock. <laughs> but you're also following the Monday 4.30 into the Tuesday 4.30. So it was always you had two stories going on. It was really oh, ridiculous. Man. Wow. Like, yeah. What they should have done was stagger them so that you get, like, Monday at 4, you get part 2 of Friday at 4.30. Uh, I know, something. 4.30 episode of the start of the next one. Like, that would have kept you watching. Totally. But, like... That's true. But the thing is, like, you know, and Batman the Animated Series came on, and I, I believe Batman the Animated Series was a daily show as well. I thought, it, I think it started as, like, a weekly show, right? Because didn't it premiere on, like, a Sunday night? I, I think quickly. it might have. Yeah, but anyway, but, but it was, but for the, it wasn't long before it was daily. Yeah, but I remember watching, you know, like, two and a half hours of Batman every day, because Batman, the Animated Series would come on at 3.30, and then 66 would come on at 4. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I've always had this... You know, specifically about Batman, I've always had this thing where it's like, oh, no, this is all the same. <laughs> like, this is the same guy. Oh, right. Uh, there is no difference <laughs> in those, those two versions of Batman for me. But, you know, that was on Fox. And I was a kid who already liked superheroes. You know, I would uh, – I had this uh, Spider-Man, it, the very best of Spider-Man. It was a yellow paperback uh, that I read literally – the bind- I wore the binding out on it. And so I loved superheroes and all this was happening on Fox. So, you know, you would see the commercials for X-Men. You would see the ads for X-Men. And X-Men was such a weird thing for me because it was a it was a comic I had never I don't think I'd ever seen it before because I didn't, you know, go to the the comic book store that often when I was 10. I would just get stuff at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. You know, I I get I get whatever comics they had at Piggly Wiggly with Win Dixie. So I don't know that I had ever seen the X-Men. And I know that I had never read the X-Men. Okay. Uh, until I was maybe 1994 when I got like, uh, I think I was in seventh grade and I got, there was a little mass market paperback, black and white reprint of the arcade story, the uh, Claremont and Byrne uh, arcade story, which oh, yeah, is still thing. one of my all-time favorite X-Men stories. But I would see, you know, I'd see the animated series and the thing about that animated series, every other cartoon version of any superhero, whether it's uh, whether it's Batman the Animated Series, whether it's the Spider-Man show, whether it's X-Men Evolution or, you know, Superman the Animated Series, all of them boil things down to their essentials, right? Like Batman is very much like and it's one of the successes of Batman the Animated Series that it it cut it down. It cut out everything you didn't need. And this is pure Batman. You know, the Spider-Man series, you know, was more convoluted, but it did the same thing. X-Men Evolution kind of did the same thing. You know, we'll take it back to being a school drama. We'll do that. X-Men, the animated series, did not do that at all. X-Men, the animated series, (laughs) you show up and it's the third generation of the (laughs) X-Men. Like, in that first episode, it's like, it's Scott and Gene and, and Beast and Wolverine. But they haven't, like, they haven't always been the X-Men. There are flashbacks to the 60s X-Men in that show. Yeah, yeah. Which is bonkers. Yeah. And so, for me, in 92, the X-Men were this thing that was this weird parallel world. And I never, until I became an adult, I never feel like I had, I never felt like I had experienced those comics. It was always some weird world that had so much going on. And I had this idea of what it was. And I always wanted to read more X-Men because I felt like if I could get into it, I would get into these, like, I would understand what Gambit's deal was. Sure. Because, you know, you like somebody would mention the Thieves Guild. 
Right. And I'd be like, I'd be like, man, what issues is that in? And like, I kind of didn't realize at the time, like, oh no, it's in this issue. <laughs> like, this is where we're talking about it. Yeah. But I remember, like, you know, like Chad, I would go to Pizza Hut, and they had those, you know, the black boxes with the. That's where we uh, met. Red, I'm sorry, the black boxes with what? With the red foil VHS tapes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've got some of those actually on a shelf behind me. And it's like, yeah, and it's Fabian Nicieza, mm-hmm. uh, and like Stan Lee were introducing them, which is so weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I would, you know, watch those all the time. And then the first ever comic, I the first ever back issue I bought. Uh, which was not the first ever back issue I had. The first one that I like had to go to my mom and tell her like, "Hey, I need six dollars." Hang on, let me guess. X Men Adventures number one. No, oh, okay. although I did I did track that one down as a as a dollar book one time. Sure. Uh, it was the wedding issue. The, oh. the thirty. It was X Men thirty, and I was like, I. I've written about that comic before, and it's like I have such conflicted feelings for that comic because I. It is my favorite wedding comic of all time. It is my favorite fictional wedding. And yet there are like so many ticks in it <laughs> that are such 90s comics ticks. And I bought that like in seventh grade from a friend who, or not even a friend, but like a classmate that was, you know, he was, he was the kid who uh, could draw a little bit. So he was always drawing Wolverine in his notebook. And I remember he, I knew he had it. And I was like, man, I got to get this issue where Cyclops and Jean finally get married, even though these are characters I've only known for a year. I got to admit that, like, I can I can think of, in the Marvel Universe anyways, I can, I can think of three major weddings, and I'm sure there's many more, but the three major weddings I'm thinking of are um, Mary Jane Watson and Peter Parker, of course, uh, right. Scott and Madeline, which is an issue we're going to come up to pretty soon in, in the Danger Room podcast, and then also issue number 30 that you're referring to. And I got to be honest, I don't think... I've ever read any of them. There's Reed and Sue also, which is the big one. That's like yeah, that's like your that's like your big one. Yeah, and I would I would say I would say the T'Challa Storm. Yeah. See, I'm familiar with all the weddings, and I know that they all occur, but I'm like, I don't think I've read any of them. I remember that uh, X Men the the wedding issue too. That was that was quite a quite an event. The sad thing is, I think I actually have the issue in my collection because I can picture clear as day (laughs) what the cover of that book looks like. Yeah, and I had the commemorative magazine. Did you guys have the commemorative magazine? The it's got a, I think it's got a Michael Ringo cover. Uh, they did like a big, big magazine oh, for Scott cool. and Gene? I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah I think it's, I think it's the X Men the Wedding Album or something like that. I forget what it's. I think the anyway. Uh, my favorite little tick of of um, X Men Thirty when I read it was that the Scott and Gene's first dance is uh, one by U two. Oh, that's hilarious! Which is a very popular song, and it's. Of, because of course it is, right? Like Scott picked that one, right? Cyclops picked that. Yeah, yeah. And it's and you get like Professor X describing the song in there. He's like, he's like, the melody is haunting, <laughs> whatever he says. <laughs> but at the time, like I, I paid, I paid six bucks each for X Men Thirty and X Men One, wow. and paying six bucks for X Men Number One, and that's in nineteen ninety four dollars. That's in Clinton era dollars. Ooh, that was gosh. maybe the worst comics purchase I ever made. If only I had waited. <laughs> If only I waited, I could get it for a quarter. I think as soon as we stop recording this episode, I'm going to grab my X-Men uh, 30, throw on Octung Baby and listen to one as I read it and see if I can't shed a tear for the dance. <laughs> I didn't know what U2's one sounded like. Oh, that's funny, too. But because I, I was a, you know, I was a 12 year old burgeoning metalhead. So I knew ah. what Metallica's one sounded oh. like. <laughs> so in my head like scott and gene's first dance at their wedding is is to darkness imprisoning me all that i see absolute horror 
<laughs> that actually I'm... works with the character of Scott Summers. Yes. The melody is haunting. Yes. <laughs> the melody. He's he's really just uh, talking about his deadly eyes is what's going on there. That's really funny. <laughs> it's very funny. Is anything else going on in 1992 other than the X-Men really like shaping you to be the person that you are going to become? That's a very formative time period for me, obviously. I think that's, that's you know, mm-hmm. that's right when, like I said, I'm, I'm like 12, 13, making that transition from like middle school to like high school and, you know, all, all the stuff that comes with that. And, uh, you know, trying to really figure out, like, make make the X-Men my own at that point, I think that was really something. And I hate to keep going back to the X-Men, but that, I think that's why the X-Men really speak to me and Chris right now, uh, specifically this story or this this era, because and that's a big that's a big era for X-Men. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you mentioned earlier how X-Men number one is probably the best selling comic of all time and kind of still holds that record. Yep. Um, because everybody had it. Yep. Like, everybody had it. I guarantee you, you could do a poll at any con. And most people have in their collection X-Men number one by, by Claremont and, and Jim Lee. And, uh, and, you know, whether they've read it or not or whether they remember anything about it, no, but they probably have it. But do they have all and, five issues and then the uh, deluxe issue to go along with? I, well, m- most people probably have that fold-out cover, right. that, deluxe, yeah. that deluxe cover, yeah. In fact, Chris and I have a ton of those that we've been signing at cons. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, you can do that? <laughs> oh, you can? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's nothing that says you can't sign this on the front. Adam, that's how we're going to get rid of ours. <laughs> no, no, sell them to us. <laughs> you can have them. <laughs> we did uh, that's what a free comic book day. We gave one to a kid and we signed every part of the gatefold. But yeah, like, you know, you know, as far as being being things that are important to those formative years, I mean, like I said, music's a big part of that for me. And, and you know, as much as I hate to say, like, it's the grunge era mm-hmm. type stuff, that that's true. I mean, that, that era of, of music really was, was what I was totally into, like Alice in Chains and... Soundgarden and and those guys. Well, Chris was rocking out to uh, Metallica. I mean, I'm, obviously, I like Metallica too. But I mean, but music is is uh, Bruce Springsteen actually, which is really odd. Is a really big big person. I think that's probably '93 or '92 is probably when I discovered that I like like Bruce Springsteen, but was kind of embarrassed by it because I was like 13. Tunnel of Love but, came out like a year or two prior to that, so that must have been what you were after, right? Yeah, yeah, Tunnel of Love, and then, you know, some years later, like, I, don't, I forget what's between that and Tom, you know, Ghost of Tom Jode, but whatever that, that album is, there's a box set in there, too, that I got that I really liked. But yeah, so, I mean, you know, music's a big thing. Uh, I think for Chris, probably more than me, video games okay. uh, is, is, is a big thing. Yeah, I was, I was way into Super Mario World. Oh, okay, uh, sure, sure. Summer of summer of ninety two, man, world championship wrestling was my heart and soul. Yeah, and I'm there. I'm I there. was so worried about Sting and Vader. I was so worried. <laughs> Let me do this to transition into kind of my next question here. Uh and it's something that's been referenced by multiple people as we prepared for this interview. You've probably heard it already, but here it goes. You will come to visit us, won't you? Does a mall baby chili fries? And the reason I play that is because I've been doing some looking around on the internet, reading a lot of the interviews and the other media that's attached to X-Men 92, uh, really trying to figure out where the inspiration is drawn from. So a number of the articles that I've read kind of state that Jim Lee, uh, his X-Men, uh, that he, the number one we were just talking about, is the jumping off point and that you'll be writing stories around those characters. But other car- articles, most, uh, most of them, as a matter of fact, assume that this is a continuation, your series is a continuation of X-Men the Animated Series. So in your own words, can you explain to Adam and I where X-Men 92 actually jumps off from? I think one of the things that we, we, we've we said uh, before, and, and 
the the Marvel interviews is that you know it, it the the beauty of X Men ninety two is it's kind of everything from that era when we when Chris and I started like researching this we realized that the the very first non Claremont written X Men comic which I think is is it X Men number four I think which is the first uh, Mega Red uh, appearance yeah. um, is written by uh, I think it's written by Jim Lee I think, I think John. Uh, John Byrne, John, did John Byrne did the scripting on it, I think, too. And uh, so that 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 first comic is cover dated January 1992. Okay. So the 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 very first non Claremont X Men comic uh, is is cover dated January 1992. And I think Chris and I used that sort of as an inspiration to to sort of say, okay, what's the X Men world like post Claremont? And that this is sort of our take um, on on an era of the X-Men that was sort of twice removed from Claremont. So, you know, Claremont's kind of the driving force for the X-Men for so many years. And then suddenly in 1992, Claremont's gone and you've got guys like Scott Lobdell and you've got guys like Nicieza and, and even Ghibli and John Byrne and those early issues who are really doing their best to sort of keep that voice the same, but also taking it in a very nineties direction, which, you know, Claremont might not have done at that point in time, right? Like there's definitely a tonal shift, I think in those books at the time, like Omega Red, I don't think is a character that, uh, that that Chris Claremont would have come up with, right? No. That's clearly like an artist-inspired character. Yeah. And so, if any, if anything else, I think that our our X Men '92 sort of takes everything of that era when the X Men are sort of like like I said, when the X Men explode. You know what I mean? For lack of a better word, when the X Men become a household name, when they're selling X Men videos and, and comics. Uh, in what is it? What was that? Charleston Chew. Remember the Charleston Chew ad that was in the back? Of the I do remember screen? the Charleston Chew ad. <laughs> like, like when everybody wanted a piece of the X Men. When the X Men were sort of the biggest thing on earth for like five minutes, you know, because there's a video game, there's comics, there's trading cards, there's toys, there's an sh- animated series, there's clothing, there, there's all this stuff. So if if you ask what X Men '92 does, I think X Men '92 tries to distill that down into a story about about these characters who are in in. For, for whatever reason uh, in our story, which you'll see, you know, in the first issue are, are suddenly the most popular thing in the world, but sort of lack purpose because they, they sort of have, have achieved their goal in our story. And, uh, and I think that's kind of where our story picks up. Uh, so it's not a direct sequel um, to, to either the Jim Lee era of comics and it's not a direct sequel to like X-Men uh, the animated series, but it's also, uh, really tied into that stuff, like tonally, I think. Yeah, we're trying to we're trying to synthesize the feel of an era more than one specific thing. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the cast that you see in it is going to be the cast that was was on the animated series because that's the cast of who was in the books at the time. You know, like I said, the one great thing the books did, or, or the one great thing the animated series did, was it took it all. Like it yeah. was the most literal direct translation of the comics to like what was going on in the newsstand at the time was what was going on in the cartoon at the time. Um, but it's also, you know, that's the same cast that's in X-Men number one. Uh, mm-hmm. I, we don't have, uh, who, who do we not have in that first issue? It's Psylocke and Archangel are the ones we don't have in the first issue. How about uh, Beast or Jean Grey? Beast yeah, and Jean, there. they're in there. They were okay. not on that initial cover, but okay. they are part of the team in the book. Jubilee is kind of our focal character in that, in that first arc. Oh, so it's, it's definitely a thing where we're trying to like, like Chad said, there's so much going on in that era 
where if you look at how much X-Men there was available in 1992, there's a lot of it, but it's all kind of coming from the same well. You know, there was, we looked at the, uh, what, what story were we looking at the other day, Chad, when we were like, you know, the animated adaptation of this came out six months after the comic. Oh, the Phalanx so they, Covenant. Phalanx Covenant, yeah. yeah Phalanx so they Covenant. had, like, so somebody told, okay, somebody came up with the Phalanx Covenant in the comics, right? Mm-hmm. And then they wanted to do it on the show. So somebody told the show the plot. And then they did their version of what they thought it was based on the plot, because those comics hadn't been done yet. Okay. And if, if, you told us the version of the plot that they did on the animated series. That's what our comic is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's, it's weird. It, it, it's, it's essentially like, like the Spider-Man animated series. Now, what is it? Ultimate Spider-Man. If mm-hmm. ultimate Spider-Man was like charged with adapting secret wars before secret wars was over. And before, before anybody really knew what secret wars was, all they had was the title. Okay. And they're like, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's just one of those weird moments where you realize that, that they're, they're making X-Men stuff like faster than they can almost make X-Men stuff. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And hopefully like the idea is if you liked any of that stuff, you know, if you, if you watch the cartoon, but you never read the comics, if you read the comics and you have fond memories of those comics, but you never really got into the cartoon. If you saw Wolverine on a t-shirt one time, uh, and you really like that (laughs) t-shirt, we did sign somebody's nineties X-Men t-shirt on free comic day, which is fun. We did. Um, the idea is that if you liked any of that stuff, you'll recognize our X-Men. You'll recognize our 1992 era X-Men. Okay. Um, if you come at it from any of that stuff. So it's not, you know, it's not X-Men number, number 31, you know, and, and it's not, it's not X-Men, the animated series season six. Sure. Which I think a lot of people kind of assumed it was. From the media that I was reading is, you know, you, you, you hit, you hit us up and I was like, Oh, this is awesome. I, I would like to know more about this. And before I go into this interview, I want to make sure that I have a little bit of education behind me. And I started reading all of the articles and the interviews and I'm like, I don't, I don't think these people that are writing these articles quite understand what's going on because all of them are like, this is a direct sequel to the animated series. I was like, well, that's, that's an interesting idea. And, you know, if you get super into it, you, you, there is a, an Earth designation number for the animated series. And that's based right. on what we know with Secret Wars, right, those Earth designations are all colliding. So one could make a story where that Earth collides. But your idea actually sounds a lot better than all of that, to be honest. I mean, I this think is, I this think is not our assumption. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I, I can because say... I did write a a year and a half long X-Men 92 <laughs> episode guide. Oh, nice. As we come into X-Men 92, I would imagine that there's got to be some character baggage, right? So if you look at it from one point, like, let's take the two different points, uh, the two main focal points anyway. So from the comic book series, obviously you've got all of that history behind it and all the, the stuff of where they came from and how they got to where they are. And then for the animated series, you also had reworked stories and characters to fit them into the timeline of the show. So as you proceed, are you proceeding as if there's no history or are you proceeding as if, hey, kind of like, <laughs> remember that one time? And then that one time could actually be like the animated series or that one time could be sometime in actual old canon. Like how, mm-hmm. what's going on there? There is a notebook that Chad has <laughs> okay. that has everything that happened in the five years leading up to X-Men 92 number one. So five years of comic books and the the television show or just the comic books? Five years of stuff that happened to these X-Men. Okay, fair enough. The way that I've described it in the past is uh, imagine that 
every X-Men crossover happened just as like if one ends on a Friday, the next one starts on Saturday. <laughs> like as like no sooner have they dealt with uh with uh, uh the Dark Phoenix saga, like then the then Bishop comes back from the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I actually read that and I found that very humorous to be like, yeah, okay, so the whole 30 years of X-Men that we've been reading, it happened in about seven years total, maybe. Right. And, and that's, that's, and that's the right, trick yeah. of it, is that if you, you know, we want to have something where if you read the 90s X-Men comics and you fell off, you can go back to this. If you if you want to approach it as, as you know, season six, that's not what it is. Right. But if that's your point of reference for the X-Men, I don't think you're going to be confused by anything. Okay. Yeah, you can, re- you can read it. Like, we're not going to tell you how to read it, obviously. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but at the same time, I think that, you know, if you want to read it that way, I think it reads perfectly fine like that. Um, uh, I mean, these are X-Men who are, have certainly been through a lot. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a scene in the first issue where Cyclops is talking about how much his team has been through uh and and we leave it you know very vague we we kind of go into the history a little bit of, of what happened for these particular x-men uh and there's you know there's some stuff you're going to recognize in there but there's you know we 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 leave it vague but we try to give people the idea that yeah these are x-men that have that have definitely been through some stuff <laughs> okay I like the angle. And so then that just begs, you know, the next question. Like, are these X-Men going to meet Pride of the X-Men X-Men? Is that ever going to happen? Like, so close. That was so close to happening. I would hope. Uh, I mean, I hope it was on a drawing board at some point. Our pitch went through so many different, uh, you know, variations or changes when we were kind of coming up with things. And at one point in time, yeah, we, we literally had them getting sort of stuck in a, uh, in a, 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 version of the video game um but but yeah that that did not happen um, that's, that's an interesting question actually did marvel approach you guys for the pitch or did marvel come to you kind of with a a, a little bit of a game plan and, and say to you work it out it's a little bit of both actually uh, yeah, they knew um they knew they wanted to do a 90s x-men inspired book but they kind of left it up to us what that was going to be which made for some very interesting pitching Sure. Yeah, there were some parameters that, like, you know, we we had to sort of stay within. But for, for the most part, as long as we kind of built it within that framework, like, they were pretty cool about just letting us do whatever they want to do or what we, whatever we want to do. But, like, th- there were versions of the pitch that we were writing that were, like, pretty contradictory to Secret Wars. And so as we refined that, we had to kind of make it fit within the, the context of what, what Secret Wars sort of is, which I think, you know, at the end of the day, makes it a much better story. Um, Cause I think we sort of lacked a little bit of like focus in those early pitches. Cause we wanted to do like so much, you know what I mean? Cause it was the first time and Chris and I were kind of like, you know, you know, do they realize they're letting us write the X-Men? Like, let's do everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what can we, what can we get in here? Like, can we get the savage land in here? You know, can we get uh, like, we had like every, I mean, Chris, we really had almost everything in there, right? Like yeah, the only we thing had- we didn't have was strife. <laughs> and not uh, yeah, we had, we had every every place the x-men have been we we went there you know we had yeah. that original pitch had the moon and madripoor and genosha japan. and japan savage land savage land yeah. mojo world it had mojo, mojo world, world in it yeah yeah oh i'm a huge fan of the mojo world stuff no i think i think mojo world is like a brilliant idea yeah, yeah. like i like totally want to we we've got more x-men 92 stuff that we could do if they if they wanted us to, 
Um, and believe me, uh, Mo- Mojo World is is pretty close to the top of the list. Awesome. Yeah. We, like, I mean, and the funny thing is, like, looking at looking at what's in there now, you'd never think there was a way that we could cram more in. Oh yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> That's... This is an exclu- this is an exclusive though. Uh, Mojo does run the TV station in Westchester. I will let you guys know that. Oh my goodness, I'm already hooked. But we never see him. What what is it? How does it feel? Now, so you've gotten the job. You you went through the whole pitch process. You you've landed a this book, and it's got a it's a pretty pretty big book, right? I mean, it's the X Men for God's sakes. But what does it feel like now to be able to tinker with? Um, and I have it written down like new slash old Marvel universe, but I don't even know what to call it now. What does it feel like to tinker with an X Men universe? Here, that's how we'll phrase the question. That's that's good. There was a moment, and it was after we. Um, it was after we turned in number one and it just kind of hit me and I called up Chad and I was like, I was like, Hey man, um, they're letting us write three Jack Kirby characters <laughs> and Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, cause you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge, huge Kirby guy. Like, t- like I think everyone should be. Yeah, absolutely. But like that, like that moment was like, it's weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, like we signed a contract. They can't take it back now. <laughs> like, they, they they have to let us at least write it. <laughs> Nobody has to draw it, but they, you know, they have to let us at least write it. Um, but that, and that, and you know, the Kirby stuff aside, like I mean, like I think we, you know, I'm a huge Kirby fan too, and I recognize the 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 significance of writing. You know, you know, specifically Cyclops. I mean, obviously Cyclops is a you know huge icon, and then Beast and Gene and. You know, not to say that the other guys aren't in there, but like those those characters, like that's huge. But to be sort of writing like the Claremont X Men mm-hmm. is a, is a huge thing. Like I can't think of a team in comics, you know, with the exception of maybe like Kirby's the Kirby Leaf run on Fantastic Four. You know, maybe the you know what's what's another run on on a book that that's I mean, like I would I would think Claremont's run on X Men is probably definitely within the top five greatest runs of all time. Like, I mean, it's you know, fifteen not, years long. Yeah, yeah, not 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 to say like I mean, if you're gonna get like what like maybe Miller's Daredevil and some other stuff, but I mean, yeah, it's way up there. Mm-hmm. And and to get to write those characters and to get to try to play in that that the, you know with those voices, I mean, you know. I, I was reading those guys when I was nine years old, and here you and, are writing them. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah and that's... here you are exactly. And I'm writing the. I'm, I'm not writing like no. No offense to to Bendis, and no offense to 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 you know Brew Baker, and I'm trying to think of the other or Fraction or any of the other guys who written the characters in the last decade. But but I'm not writing those characters. I'm writing like I'm writing the character that I would have written when I was nine. You yeah. know what I mean? Or it's this, it's, it's, it's astonishing. It's this super weird opportunity that we have to. To not just write the X-Men, but to write the X-Men as they were both when we kind of first encountered them. Well, the most well-known X-Men, I think, is yeah. safe to say. And when they like, were like when they were in comics that were selling six million copies each. Yeah. Like, Two knuckleheads from South Carolina get to write the most well-known X-Men. Yeah. Like the, the most well-known version of the X-Men. Outside Which of maybe is, the you know, outside of the movies, maybe. Well, I mean, definitely outside of the movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it's and that's really fun. Because, like, you know, Chad and I are both continuity nerds. Mm-hmm. Like, we, and, you know, across all comics, we are we are diehard continuity nerds. So it's, it's this weird thing where it's like, yeah, like, this is, you know, on one level, like, there's a bunch of continuity we don't have to worry about. But on the other level, we're going into when, 
when nobody even had a thought of not making it as complex as they could. Right. Like, and we're going into that stuff, you know, that same stuff that I read when I was a kid. And I was like, I was like, one day I'm going to understand this. Like one day I'm going to track down the comics that I need to actually understand what's going on. Like we're writing that now. So, and not only, not only that, you're creating new continuity. Well, and and trying to, and trying to understand it from a completely other side. Which is well, and, and trying and trying not to let the one the the pressure of writing those characters and trying to get those voices just right, you know, uh, overwhelm you. But also working really hard to to not just make X Men ninety two like a pastiche. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This or like a or like a uh, uh, you know like like a like like a greatest hits comic. You know what I mean? We don't want it to be just you know ticking off the boxes. Okay, we got to get the you know apocalypse in there. Okay, we got to get Mister Sinister in there. Like we don't want to do that. Like we want it to be, and I, and I think we've actually done a pretty good job. Now whether people like it or not, that's another thing. But I think we've done a pretty good job of making it making it new and fresh. I think okay for the first issue, right? Like the first digital issue uh, again out in uh, in about two weeks. Um, like when there there's a definitive point in that issue where. Reading it up to like what is it like page what is it Chris like page fifteen sixteen I can't remember what 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 it is it's hard to think about it in, in terms of screens but I can't remember I don't have it in front of me right now but th- there's a moment in that issue where if you pulled that chunk out and set it down beside anything X Men uh, in the nineties whether it was an adaptation of the animated series or whether it was just a random issue of of uh, uh, Fabian Nicieza or Scott Lobdell issue. Or or what whatever the, the or or if you put it like in a in a sequence in a video game or whatever like it would fit it would be right at home in that era, and then something happens in that first issue that kind of snaps you out of it and says whoa this is this is very different, okay. this is very different and very strange, uh, and I think one that that's kind of the beauty of Secret Wars is you're allowed to do that like these things feel familiar and they're they're eras that you remember they're eras and story arcs that you remember fondly or maybe not fondly. Uh, but, but then you've got this opportunity to take that thing that, you know, that existed as one thing and, and craft this wholly new different thing out of it, which I think is very, very cool about it. Yeah. But, you know, I, I hope people, you know, enjoy what we do without being, it's not one thing that they and want also, to do, I guess. Also, in case we haven't talked about it as uh, really yet, um, Scott Cobb was just destroying on this. Like he is demolishing this book. It's, it's amazing. And he, uh, if you've read the, the stuff that he's done on Deadpool, like he's very good at kind of getting in the style of an era. So like when you see the X-Men, like Cyclops visor is always sparking like, and I love it. And, and like at one point, like, uh, well, I can't, I can't say that, that far. I can't talk about that far. Uh, so something yeah, awesome like happens. Yes. Okay. But like. You know, the costumes look great. And the hair, the hair is the funniest part of the book. The, ha- the hair is one of the best parts of the book, yeah. Specifically, Rogue like, the, specifically Rogue's hair and Storm's Rogue hair. Rogue and Jean and Storm's hair is just out of control <laughs> uh, in, in such a great way. And then, like like Chad said, like, there's a moment in that first issue, like, right after that first set piece, where the thing that happens that kind of reminds you what you're reading happens... And he like kills it on that too. <laughs> like it's yeah, yeah, super yeah. ridiculous. This is an issue then, number you know, one, right? Yeah, it's yeah. an issue. Okay. Two. Like one. everything, sort of, yeah, everything. You know, it, it's still familiar. I mean, it doesn't like mm-hmm. change everything. No, you I'm, know? I'm game. But uh, but but it it reminds you that hey, wait a minute, this isn't you know th- this isn't 
This isn't that the time. The X-Men that was... we were expecting. Yeah, exactly. The X-Men that we're familiar with as much as we maybe think we are. I do have to say that I'm looking forward to the hair because I'm pretty sure that Adam and I based our 90s hairdos on, you know, Cyclops and Gambit <laughs> with like big long bangs <laughs> draped in our eyes, just praying to God that maybe we could get a frame of ourselves where it looked like Jim Lee had drawn <laughs> these stringy strands in front of our eyes. Oh, just loved it. Yeah, Gambit's hair is pretty out of control too, to be honest yeah, with Gamb- you. Yeah, Gambit's is good. That's and, uh, I'm trying to think of like like... Beast is particularly cool looking too. Like Scott really does an excellent Beast, and he's such a he's such a very like he's very animated, no pun intended. But he's very <laughs> yeah. No, he looks great. I love his little glasses. He's always wearing yeah. his little glasses. He's great. There's a there's a profile shot in the first issue where they're in the cockpit of the uh, the Blackbird, and like Beast is just handsome as hell. Like he looks great, you know. And I think it works. I think it works out really nicely. And Scott will also like we'll do like we'll write panels where it's like, uh, hey, can you you know show a crowd shot and this guy and this guy and this guy are in there, and we've been pulling out you know '90s characters that we that aren't part of the main cast to kind of put in, you know anybody who had a trading card, <laughs> anybody who had one of those uh, Greg and Tim Holdebrandt <laughs> trading cards is in there, <laughs> uh, and he'll add like 15 other people like that's not an exaggeration he will literally add like 15 additional characters yeah, to yeah. a scene. And it's, it's amazing. He's, we've had great, great luck working with very, very talented artists, you know, Rusty, Matt, uh, Erica is obviously, you know, blowing up and she's amazing. And we got to work with her. Uh, and, and Scott is, you know, Scott Kowalczyk is amazing. Um, and Cobblish is like, it's unbelievably good. Like it's, it never gets old, you know, yeah, seeing art never gets old. Is, I think the thing, yeah, exactly. That's the best part of the the process. I think is when you open, you know, your your, you know, email and you've got a new page from from Scott Publisher. He is quick. That's, he is fast too. He really is. is. Like he's he's, it's making it tough to keep up with him. He's really fast. Yes, yeah, and all we have to do is write it. <laughs> right, right. He's he's something else. Um, I do genuinely think this is like his best work. Like, and he's done amazing things. Like, there's an issue of I mean, there's multiple issues of the the Deadpool, uh, like the flashbacks that he did. Um, but, but I really feel like there, there, there's, there's some energy in these pages. That's just amazing. Um, and it just keeps getting better. Like we keep giving him the craziest things to draw and the weirdest scenarios. And we're like, okay, so this is going on and I'm not exactly sure what the background should look like, or I'm not exactly sure what this should look like, but I think it should probably kind of look like this and we get it back and it's perfect. (laughs) It's just, it's exactly what you would expect. You know what I mean? Because the story's the story's very interesting. I think again, not without giving too much away. It's 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 both exactly what you would expect and like not at all what you'd expect. And, well, I and, mean, it sounds like you've got the 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 mixings of a great creative team if you are able to do some of those descriptions and get right uh, the art back just the way you want it, right? And there's no oh yeah, that's ah, not quite right. You know, more fangs or less fangs or whatever it is you're working on. It's always more fangs. <laughs> I would assume so, right? I mean, I'm not like I'll I'll, I'll spoil this a little bit for you. Cyber shows up, Uh-oh. you know, the guy with adamantium arms. Hey, Adam, did you hear that? Cyber shows up. Yeah. Oh, I love Cyber. I actually, like, I had, like, a kind of uh, a fan bait question for you. Cyber versus Omega Red, who wins? Oh, man. You know what? Read the, the book. Fans. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Cyber shows up, and his arms just get bigger in every panel. Like every panel. It's amazing. <laughs> like, And he starts out looking like a He-Man figure. Yeah, he's great. I think we've made There's that so much energy in, the in this work. <laughs> yeah. So let me, if I could, can, can let's just maybe a little bit pull back the 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 curtain uh, for the, for us that are not quite in this industry. 
Because mm-hmm. what my, what I've always been curious about, uh, and maybe maybe it doesn't even pertain to this, since you are kind of doing something that's uh, not really constrained so much by the the whole Marvel universe. But uh, when something like this happens, or or when there's a lot of moving parts, you know, at Marvel or in the universe, or what's going on with the characters, what's the internal process like to make sure that everything is kind of kept in order? Well, I mean, I think I think one of the advantages, like Chad and I have had interesting experiences in what we've done. Cause a lot of the stuff we've done has been creator owned or it's been web comics or it's been self published where we're the only people paying attention to it. Right. Um, and working with Oni, uh, we worked with Charlie Chu on downset fight. who was an amazing editor and, you know, he described his job as an editor as just, you know, as, as being the midwife, you know, help, helping us give birth to this idea is what he said. Okay. Um, and he, you know, he he had really good tips. He had really good advice. Um, he helped us really narrow down the focus on that book. Uh, but that was the first time we've ever worked with an editor. Uh, working with Marvel, and we're working with um, uh, Jordan D. White as our editor on X Men, uh, and he and I actually do a podcast together as well. Oh, nice. Uh, but working with him has been a really unique experience because because it's Secret Wars, because of the nature of of what it is and what kind of comic it is. Um it really can be anything there's like the people, there's not a lot of keeping the continuity straight. There's not a lot of, you know, and and not to undersell the book because I think it's fun and I think people are going to enjoy it, but you know, we are very far removed, I think from the core events of secret wars. Let me ask this. So like you, you come to the table or or whatever it is, the, the the conference call and you say, all right, X-Men number one, we do this. It's awesome. X-Men number two, we do this. It's awesome. X-Men number three, I want to kill Beast and Cyclops and move on from there. Is that something that they're like, well, that's not the direction we would go, but sure, go ahead. Or is it, no, you you can't do it. Yeah, we we don't do that. We don't kill (laughs) Beast and Cyclops, Uh, but I feel like they would have let us. Okay. I, I, I think they would have let us do it like in a minute. Like, so yeah, you're just you're just in a sandbox with a bunch of action figures, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, which is Honestly, really yes. fun. That, yeah. Like, okay. I'm trying to think of something, and Chris, Chris, and I spent some time together on Free Comic Book Day where we were signing some stuff, and we we spent some time trying to figure out exactly like what they've told us we can't do, <laughs> and the list of things that we can't do is so small, <laughs> like. And 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 mostly it's just like logistical stuff. You know what I mean? Like you can't do that because this is happening in this book or you can't do that because this is happening in this book. Not because he didn't like the idea, just because either somebody else beat us to it or uh, or it fit in, you know, a little bit differently uh, with, with the landscape of Secret Wars. They've been like super cool about letting us do kind of whatever we want to do. That sounds like an excellent spot to be, to, to be quite honest. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, go ahead. There's one thing that we had in the pitch that we were like, okay, this is what we're putting in there that they're going to cut out. Uh, this is definitely the thing that we are not going to get to do that is, uh, that, that, you know, maybe it will distract them from some of the other stuff that we're asking to do. Uh, that was Jordan's favorite scene, <laughs> and we just got the art for it. So, yeah. so what issue is that so that we can look forward to it? That's in number three. That's the opening of number three. Okay. <laughs> so print issue uh, number two. Yeah, they, but, there has been very little we've heard like you can't do that and and the stuff that they told us we can't do that is it is largely for mechanical reasons mm-hmm. it, it, it is not like we, we have never heard that's too weird yeah oh, okay. is, we've never heard that which cool. is which is interesting i mean that's cool because like i've often wondered you know if you know if you're a writer coming on to a book that's already established 
I mean, you're not coming into Uncanny X-Men number 545, right? They've restarted the issue, and now you get to write it, and you have all this baggage that you have to deal with. But I have often wondered, like, when a new writer comes in, like, obviously the future direction is probably open to them as a creator, but they can't just be like, oh, yeah, the Phoenix Saga never happened. Uh, I take that back. I'm sure they could actually write that into continuity <laughs> yeah, somehow. Just, just, just wipe it out. Yeah, yeah. All right. No, our, our story is really funny because it's kind of it's kind of everything, but you also like. I'm not sure, if we wanted to acknowledge or say that the Phoenix Saga never happened to these guys, we could have. Mm-hmm. But that would be that be that would feel wrong. That feel like disingenuous. So I don't feel like we 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 really could do that, or we should do that rather, because I feel like people come to this when they see these costumes, they sort of expect a backstory. And while we have like a slightly tweaked backstory, I mean, I think those stories happen. You know what I mean? Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I don't know if we could. I, you know, I think that's that's an important part of those characters to not to not do that. So with X Men 92, even though the the slate is completely fresh and clean, like we could have done whatever we wanted to do as long as they were in those suits. Like once you commit to them being in those suits, you also commit to those things. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah, and like I said, Chad and I are Chad and I are continuity nerds. So even though we could have done anything, like it really was important for us to go in and be like, okay, how did they talk yeah. in those nineties comics? How did the narration work in those nineties comics? Like what are the kind of elements that set apart this era? What are the stories that have an impact on this era? Like I gotta I got a stack of comics with Strife in them sitting right here. <laughs> Strife does not appear in this comic, but you know he was a part of them. Yeah, he was a part yeah. of those. He was part of those comics, so we kind of felt like we had to go back and and read about it. Like, there's one. There's one panel. <laughs> Strife does show up. I just remembered that. Do you remember? Oh, Strife in it. Where does, where does Strife show up? It's uh. It'll be. It's oh yeah. Number five. Yeah. Number five. Yeah, I forgot. Strife. Strife does show up. You're getting the <laughs> scoops right here, everybody. Strife sort of shows up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's, but, you a, know, that's it, the thing. So many characters sort of show up. There's a panel, and it's it's Nicias and Capullo, right? It's Fabian Nicias and Greg Capullo did that one, the, Chad? The cable panel, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah there's this but, panel. And this panel, like, if you want to know what you're going to see in X-Men 92, like, this is the panel that everything is kind of based on. <laughs> there's a panel where Strife is getting ready to, or Cable's getting ready to go fight Strife, and... He's covered in guns and rockets and knives. And he's saying, it's time I face him man to man and quite literally face to face. Because <laughs> they have the same face. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know if you got that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like we were at that and I was, okay, that's how people talk. Yeah. That's how people talk in these comics. So that really is. You kinda, know, and I, I posted that on Twitter when I when I read that issue and I was like, this is kind of like the perfect distillation of that era. Like in, in one panel. So uh, like a, a question for both of you. What are you most excited about your run on the X-Men up, coming up? I, I, I'm most excited. People didn't like it, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> that That's really what I I mean, just, you know, because Chris and I have been working on this for a while now. And, uh, you know, it's easy, easy to create and read this stuff in a vacuum. But it's always nice to kind of know what people are going to. You know, think about it because I mean, there there are expectations. I mean, it, it's weird to to sort of go on Twitter and to go on you know different sites and see people talking about a book that doesn't exist yet, and they already have these expectations in mind. Um, but but I think that's what I'm most excited about to have people read it and and see that it is both what they expect and like not what they expect at all. Oh, well, I'm like the actual writing of those characters who have really distinct voices, um, Gambit and Cyclops and storm are so, so fun to write. Um, 
Cyclops because everything he says starts with people or Mister. <laughs> uh, and Gambit, like we are, we are, we are turning up the scumbag on Gambit. Like, uh, are you, are you guys like <laughs> scripting in like the the um, uh, accent stuff as well, or or is oh, that- yeah. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I am like I I kind of push to have every word that Storm says in bold. I wanted Storm to be all caps all the time, and we didn't do that because it makes it really hard to add emphasis. But uh, like the the you know she is. I think on the first, you know, we do like a little team rundown on that first page and it's like, you know, you know, Wolverine, enhanced mutant senses, adamantium claws, unbreakable skeleton, you know, Cyclops projects force, solar powered force beams from his eyes uh, that can be blocked by Ruby Quartz. And then Storm is literally saying, you know, I shall prevail with my control of the forces of nature. And her caption is Storm controls the forces of nature. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. right? It's there. like it's really fun. Let me just back up a, a little bit here. We were talking a little bit about uh, you guys being continuity nerds, which infers to me that you guys have read a lot of X-Men and kind of understand the lore and the storylines that uh, that have gone into the history of the X-Men. So my question is, uh, when did you start getting into some of the older storylines and what would you say is some of your favorite pre-Jim Lee X-Men number one storylines? I'm a big fan of Inferno. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Proteus uh, saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Proteus saga is probably my favorite X-Men story. Um, prior to that, I really like the the X-Sentinels story and uh, the, the Roy Thomas, um, Neil Adams story. Um, I mean, you know, we've read, golly, we've read a lot of comics, guys. I mean, like you, you know, we've, there's so many to like, uh, there's so much stuff and the X-Men are so, so deep that that's a, that's a deep well. Well, all right. So let's make it a little easier. So you, you kind of get into the X-Men in about 92 because of the, uh, because of the animated series and you start seeing some of the crap popping up. But at what point you, you buy your first new issue and you're like, this is awesome. But when is it that you're like, I need to start reading back issues and i'm really going to get into back issues and what maybe what is the you know the first uh series i mean we could all go back to phoenix saga and say that's the one but which is the 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 one that clicked with you as an adult when i started working at the comic book store um very early on i just started picking up essentials and Mm -hmm. just reading from you know giant size number one to 94 and then on up and like i said like that arcade story that two-part arcade story is one of my all-time favorite comics ever I love Arcade. He's one of my favorite villains. He's probably my second favorite Marvel villain after Doctor Doom. Um, I, I love that. Uh, I love the Dark Phoenix saga. Um, except for I like all the parts up till before they go to space. <laughs> like, <laughs> the Hellfire Club stuff is my favorite. And, you know, Chad and I have talked about that. Like, uh, you know, we, we've talked... A, a friend of ours, uh, Scott, is is really into putting the pin in where things changed in comics, which if anybody's familiar with the things I've written, I, I like to do that too. But he puts, uh, what is, is it? 132 X-Men 132. Oh, the big hellfire, hellfire club fight. Yeah. Uh, is it 132? Uh, it's, it's whatever, you know, you know, you took your best shot. Now it's my turn. He's like, yeah, right. that is the panel where the modern age of comics starts. Like uh, that yeah, it's one thirty two. in the, in the sewers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, before that, that was an ensemble book, and after that, Wolverine is the star of that comic. Yeah, yeah Adam, isn't that where we get introduced to like Cole or Reese? Yeah, good old Cole and Reese. Oh, from the, no, it's one thirty-two. The... It's the last panel of one thirty-two. I was right. One thirty-two is where he's in the sewers. Oh yeah, yeah, and then yeah. one thirty-three is where, where he, he gets fights his... the 
Wolverine, yeah, Wolverine lashes alone. Out. Are you guys talking about like the the Hellfire Club guys? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Cole and Reese. I think they turn into Reavers later on, but we're not quite yeah, there. They, in they, our they run. are. Yeah, yeah. They are totally Reavers later on. They get yeah, all um, cyborg, cyborged up. Yep. Led by Pierce. And then I think like, good stuff. One of my all time favorite single issues is uh, two oh seven, uh, where oh, they come back from Secret Wars. And Colossus is in love with Saji, and uh, he breaks up with Kitty, and he's like a real dick about it. And yeah. so Wolverine and Nightcrawler take him out to a bar to get him drunk and beat the shit out of him. Like Wolverine is literally going to get well, him drunk and beat the shit out of him, and then Juggernaut's at the bar. <laughs> okay, that is a great issue. Yeah, it took so me they a just let him fight. Ju- like they just like Juggernaut starts fighting Cyclops, and Wolverine and Nightcrawler are like, yeah, we'll be like, you, you got this, you'll be fine. Yeah, and don't they like keep drinking or something? Yeah, yeah, they just let him. <laughs> they let him take an ass beating. I, I love. Protective dad Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Uh, I mean, also, you know, the, the Claremont Miller Wolverine mini, that, that is like still the stuff that is so good. So I'm trying, I'm trying to think where I'm trying to think where like I read an issue and was like, man, I got to go back and find out what this is. And I think I, I think I can tell you what that is. It, it's the it's the uh, the the this may this may be my first X-Men issue. I'm not real sure. It's the Inferno issue where X-Factor and the X-Men post Dallas, like first meet. Yeah. Yep. And the first, the first page that Mark Silvestri page where Gene and our Gene and uh, Wolverine are kissing, like yep. the very first page is just like the close up of them kissing. Yep. And you know, then Gene breaks it off or whatever. Yep. And, uh, and, and there's all this subtext in that issue. And you're like, listen, why is that guy kissing that lady? And why do these people think these other people are dead? And who is this guy long shot? And why do people hate him and love him at the same time? And <laughs> like, like what the hell's going on here? Why is this big demon taking over, you know, uh, you know, the, the statue of, or not the statue of Liberty, but the empire state building. And like, there's so much going on in Inferno because Inferno is like this, this big culmination of all these stories. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and I think that's where I was like, what's going on in this issue? Uh, I'm probably not old enough to be reading this, but let <laughs> me go find out. <laughs> I think that's where I started looking at back issues. Well, and and I probably started looking at it like an X-Men classic as opposed to like real back issues. Like it's X-Men classic. Sure. Yeah. Also, I like any time, like literally any time uh, Dracula shows up and fights the X-Men oh, yeah. really? in, in that Claremont run. 242, <laughs> that's the issue. Yeah. yeah. No, that, so uh, two things to say about that. First of all, um, I was a huge fan of the Inferno series. That was kind of at the height of my uh, original collecting run. And I kind of had, based on like the little asterisks or the editor's notes, understood vaguely what was going on. And I think I had uh-huh. also read some classic X-Men. So... When Wolverine plants the giant kiss on Jean Grey, I knew exactly what was happening, and and I do definitely recall that issue in particular because uh, of how Madeline Pryor in her costume was drawn. Yes, and I'm you know I'm twelve or thirteen or however old I am when that issue came out. I was like, whoa, and I too was like old old enough to know better. Yeah, I was like, so. I, I don't know if my parents would let me have this, and you know, yeah, yeah. it says approved by the Comics Code, but I'm not sure. But the other thing I wanted to say is Adam and I uh, recently got finished uh, with the Drac- the original Dracula issue where he uh, uh, possesses Storm. And uh, I don't know, Adam, am I safe in saying that that was not one of our favorite issues? <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And coming up in the podcast uh, is annual number, what, six, where we get to uh, see some more Dracula. So we haven't read that one yet, and I, I've never read that one. So maybe Although my we, opinion we, will change. We did, uh, we did both enjoy the the artwork uh 
It's Bill Sienkiewicz, right? Yeah, Bill, Bill Sienkiewicz, which yeah. I think is like every time he appears on the X-Men, it's a it's a Dracula story. Oh, oh. yeah. Oh, but Dracula's so good in that comic. Like, he, <laughs> like Claremont gives him so much dialogue, and it's so pretty with that Orzakowski lettering. I, yeah. The, the panel layouts are great. The art is great. Uh, the dialogue is great. It's just, I'm like, really, Dracula? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think it's just, I'm maybe such a... I try to put too much of like a reality physics spin on the X-Men, probably to a fault, where I'm like, well, come on. <laughs> no, you did just say Inferno. You read Inferno, right? Yeah, but okay. So the way I can justify the Inferno <laughs> is... Inferno is crazier than Dracula. It is, but it didn't just like happen. It was just like, I, I liked it because it was this very slow buildup of weird things happening all right. throughout the Marvel Universe. And then I wouldn't even say all of a sudden, but just kind of a slow burn in until you got to like exterminators where uh-huh. it blew up and then i was also uh, maybe it was i was biased too because i was following x factor really heavily and so the kids that made up exterminators what rusty skids boom boom leech and uh Artie, like i loved those kids and then when they were doing their own comic book and it was centralized around in front like it all came together for me and i sure. i was like this is this is great and then you know it ended and that was that was that but for some reason, I can get it behind that, but Dracula? No, that's too far. Oh, <laughs> so good, though. So good. Yield to my dread embrace. <laughs> it says that out loud. So, going beyond Jim Lee's X-Men, uh, what is your favorite um, post-Jim Lee X-Men story? So, I guess what I'm saying is, what is your favorite series or run or whatever after January 1992? I think for both of us, the answer to that's probably New X Men. Okay. Well, it used to be New X Men for me, um, but but I think uh, Reminder's and uh, Jerome Opinia's uh, Uncanny X Force is probably my mm. favorite X for X Men run uh, post post uh, Jim Lee era. Um, because I think it takes all that stuff that I loved about the Jim Lee era, like those attitudes and that those that kind of like, you know, a, gr- a group of people with superpowers who choose to use guns and swords instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, like, I think that era, but it really puts a nice like spin on it that that makes it all like have like a real real weight to it. I really I really appreciate that run a lot. And it's got Deathlock in it. And I'm a big Deathlock fan, so I yeah. really that, so that's a series that Adams has told me over and over again. He's like, you should really read this, and I've I have I've started I've read uh, issue number one of Uncanny X Force at least three times. But for some reason, <laughs> I don't know why I don't keep. It's not like that it's bad because it looks great and it reads great. Right. For some reason, I can't get to that next level. But <laughs> there's a, there's a moment that Chris and I always kind of talk about where I'm not sure what what year it is exactly, but like it, it was like five or six years ago where we we're talking about like. The 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 our favorite comics are a comic where Captain America is a cyborg, uh, has a cyborg arm, uh, uh, Uncanny X Force, which currently uh, has it has a long form story called the Dark Angel Saga, uh, which is the most '90s name for anything, <laughs> um, and then uh, a book where where Venom is now a guy with a bunch of guns, like. So Venom, the Dark Angel Saga, and Cyborg Arm Captain America are the most popular and the most and the, and the best written comics uh, on on the market. So you guys really like Rick Remender <laughs> and, and Ed Brubaker, but but I mean, yeah, there's there's a weird moment where they take those characters who absolutely were were laughable, uh, and those con- those concepts which were kind of that way some fifteen years before, and like really give them some uh, sense of agency that I think really really worked. Really missed an opportunity not giving uh, 
uh, Bucky a robot eye when he came back. <laughs> so let's step out of the comic books a little bit here, uh, and just I've got we're we're running up uh, an hour and a half, and and I'll go all night, but I know that you guys probably got to get back to work, and you got more stories to write and stuff, so we'll try to cut this uh, cut this down quick here, but couple of questions that I've got. So first of all, there's a ton of X-Men related video games out on the market from the old Commodore 64 one to the IBM PC, which was based on Fall of the Mutants, NES, SNES, N64. Well, actually, I don't think there's any on N64, but PlayStation. What would you say each one of you, uh, if you could choose one, it could be the arcade, is your favorite? Well, uh, you're talking about the 1992 X-Men arcade game? <laughs> because that, <laughs> that makes an appearance in the comic. <laughs> so that, that does exist, and it would be an option, but I'm just curious. And, if it, and that is a great game, if yeah, that is the one that yeah. you want to pick. Just the Colossus uh, parts of it are the best. I actually, I, I'm more of a video game guy than Chad is, um, but I really, I haven't, you know, I don't think I've ever gone back and played them, but I really loved those, uh, the X-Men Legends and X-Men Legends 2, okay. and then the first Marvel Ultimate Alliance game. I know the second Ultimate Alliance game was kind of garbage, but, like, those X-Men ones were so fun, because they, you know, you got to control a team of four characters, mm-hmm. and they did a pretty decent job of approximating their, their powers and how they worked, and they put them in interesting situations. Uh, going through the Morlock sewers in whichever game that was was a huge pain. <laughs> but like you know, running around the Weapon X facility, just smashing everything up was really fun. Uh, so that's a ser- I, the X Men Legend series is a game, a series of games that I, I I have, I own, and I've started the first level. Much like Uncanny X Force, I get past the first level. I'm like, this is a lot of fun, and then I just never keep going. <laughs> but someday, yeah. someday I will. <laughs> There's a really great bit um, with Arcade in the in Ultimate Alliance one. Uh, where you think you know, like the big final boss of that game is Doctor Doom, as is fitting. He has you know stolen the power cosmic, uh, and there's a part where you like the game fools you into thinking that you've teleported into Doomstot, <laughs> uh, but if you like take the time to kind of you know because because the environment gets damaged in fights, and so you right. can kind of like focus your attacks on the walls and stuff, and like if you take the time to like knock the bricks off the columns, they're weird like candy canes underneath. <laughs> And then as you slowly go through it, you realize you're not in Doomstot. You're in Murder World. Oh. And it, it's like a theme park. Like, it's the it's the theme park version of Doomstot that then opens up into the, you know, where the murder roller coaster and Blade's trapped in a giant crane game machine. It's like, th- those games are really fun. They have a real sense of cool. humor. The the second Ultimate Alliance kind of lost it. But I really liked those X-Men ones when they had first come out. So David Bednars, uh, he asked us a question that relates to this. He, uh, this is his question verbatim. Given your deep research and personal expertise, suppose your comic book run is loosely adapted into a six-player Konami side-scrolling arcade brawler. <laughs> Who is the boss and what is his, I'm going to add, or her iconic quote? Uh, oh, gee. Like, we, we can't say, though. Yeah, we can't like give that away. We can't say uh, who the boss is. If it's adapted... If it's adapted, right? So it's it's a loose thing, right? Yeah. Adapted, uh, maybe maybe you're maybe maybe you're right. Maybe they would give away too much. Yeah. If it's adapted, it would be like if it's adapted, it'd be Loosely. like three three things. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe Jordan White. Um, <laughs> uh, and his his quote would be like, "Hey, are you guys still doing that like Gambit Rogue thing?" <laughs> Fair enough. There you go. That's the. Uh, no, answer. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, actually, as I'm reading it, I'm like, no, no, no. I don't know if you can give away that answer. Um, 
All right. It would probably be Strife, actually. <laughs> just because oh, oh, we just because we like Strife. And imagine what Strife would look like on a side-scrolling game. <laughs> Chad, do you know about the uh, do you know about the Judge Dread game for Super NES? Yeah, I think it, I remember it actually. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I ever like, played it, but I remember it. Do you guys know about that? I don't. I've never heard of it. Okay. There was a Judge Dredd game for Super NES, and it came out when the Stallone movie came out. Sure. And it's an adaptation of the Stallone movie. Right. (laughs) Until you finish with that. And then there's two levels where you fight Judge Death. (laughs) Like the dark judges start showing up. Uh, Which is perfect. Wow. Which is great. Yeah. 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 It's like, you could do a. Let's get around this other thing. You could do a you could do a prequel uh, to X Men ninety two as a video game, and I, I guess the boss would be Magneto, yeah. and his quote would be uh, his quote would be "We are the future, we are the nineties. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, of the X Men movies that have been released, how about this? Which of those are your favorite? Uh, probably First Class for me. I really like First Class a lot. Um, even though it's a mess uh, from a continuity standpoint, um, I, I really sometime I, uh, in the future. Yeah, well, that's that's the uh, that's the first one, right? Like that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. the first X Men. Yeah, in the, the not too distant future, or whatever is that what it says? Yeah, that sometime in the future. But no, I really like Michael Fassbender uh-huh. as uh, as Magneto. Like I could watch him uh, as Magneto. Uh, just just do what he does. Specifically, that scene in the uh, the Bavarian Alps or whatever, where in the, they're in the bar. Yep. Uh, oh, like that. South America. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because they they oh, they're not South they're not in the Alps. That's the deal. Um, Funny thing about that movie. Um, I, I got the DVD and uh, I I ripped it. I ripped it so I could watch it at the gym on my phone. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't rip subtitles. Like the program I was using doesn't rip oh, subtitles. See that whole scene. So <laughs> I was like, I was like, man, I can't believe they're doing some like you know inglorious bastards stuff with this and like like going pure german (laughs) and not subtitling it because the thing is like the opening scene with with kevin bacon at the concentration camp and then the scene with with fassbender like you know exactly what is happening in those scenes (laughs) like they like the message is very clear and i was like oh man this is so intense and then i realized like oh no it's just (laughs) <laughs> my my DVD messed up. So I mean, as as continuity nerds, I mean, did you did you guys watch that movie together? Did you watch it separately, or at least at the at some point, did you get together over your f- favorite coffee joint and just like rip that movie to shreds, or were you like, yeah, it was all right? I don't think we've no, ever I, talked about First Class, have we? I don't think so. I mean, I like I'm in the same boat as Chad. Like, I really liked it. Okay. Um, yeah, but yeah. we have had conversations where it's you know it, the funny thing is that X Men two thousand. Like, cause see, I watched First Class, assuming it was just a full-on reboot. Okay, and that we were going to get like some period X Men movies set in the in the sixties, and I thought that was actually really cool. Like, I'm fascinated by the idea of doing a period superhero movie, mm-hmm. uh, and because you know they did that with Captain America one, mm-hmm. and they did it with uh, with First Class, and I was like, man, like, wouldn't it be cool if you got like you know a seventies Defenders movie or you know. A Fantastic Four movie set in 1966. Like, wouldn't that be neat? That, that would be amazing. Uh, but then, like, when what what is the Age of Apocalypse came out? It's like, nope this is <laughs> this is not a reboot. It's just a weird continuity thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, or Days of Future Past. Yeah, with Days of Future Past. That's it. Well, uh, the next one's supposed to be Age of Apocalypse, so you're not you're not too far off. And, and we had this conversation about how you know the first X Men movie from 2000. Oh, like the first thing on the screen is a little Chiron that says, you know, in the not too distant future or whatever, like right. sometime in the future, the day after tomorrow, whatever it says. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. 
uh, it's set in the future. Wow. And then, and so we were like, like, hey, is Cyclops supposed to be like 50 years old in that movie? Because <laughs> James Marsden doesn't look like he's 50 years old. Adam and I have talked at length about X-Men, primarily X-Men 2000. And for me personally, like, I just, they made a superhero movie where they half took themselves seriously. The effects were okay. Adam will point out this all the time, that the action sequences are terrible. And upon rewatching, they are. But still, yeah. I mean, it really paved the way and opened the door for all the other superhero uh, movies to come out. So from that perspective, I really enjoy that movie. I still enjoy that movie. Um, but yes, when you start really distilling it down, you're like, all these characters are from the wrong time periods. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, why? Like, I don't. Who? How did they come to this decision? But I guess that's a story for another day. But that's yeah, that's kind I mean, of the thing about X Men and, and other media too. Is is the weird uh, the, the 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 need uh, to pull from all these different pieces to mm-hmm. to make their team right? Like, there's there there the Avengers movie. I mean, is is something where they go and they say, okay, let, let's essentially make the first Avengers team, right? Minus you know, obviously the the, the Wasp and Ant Man. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for the most part, that's a pretty good version of the Avengers team, right? They kind of adapt that first Loki story in a weird way. Um, but then you have the Avengers movies, which are all, they start like in media res essentially, right? Like they're in the middle of the X-Men, mm-hmm. uh, and they've got like backstory and, and it's really, it's really strange, uh, that they, that, I mean, I, you almost want to say they pick the most popular characters, but yeah. they kind of don't pick the most popular characters. You know what I mean? They pick just a weird random assortment of characters. It's, it's, it's interesting. Well, and, and, and it's, and it's worked out well for them. It, well, the X-Men 2000 almost looks like they picked the characters from uh, almost X-Men 92, to be honest. Yeah, minus yeah, the Ambit. And they do right. the and same these, thing. Yeah. They do the same thing that the animated series does, where, you know, it's Wolverine's first day on the X-Men, but Cyclops has been an X-Men for about 10 years. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. exactly. He's, he's a seasoned like, veteran. Yeah. Cyclops is a grown man with a uh, girlfriend that he lives with in the dorm <laughs> at the school well they're they're teachers sort of with yeah. they, they get paid in room and board yeah i mean they live there yeah like everybody yeah. lives there which is weird which is weird because um, yeah. also at, at the time like the, the concept of them being teachers wasn't something that had been in the books for a long time you know what i mean true or for them yeah. like that wasn't that's something that the the movie or the, it wasn't in the book at all like that's something that the the movies established which is kind of just accepted now yeah, yeah like it's kind of interesting how the, the history of the X Men has been this just kind of picking and choosing from. I like this bit of the era. I like this bit of this era. All right, let's go. This is our new X Men product. Well, if you like that, that's pretty much X Men ninety two. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna love X Men ninety two. Yeah. So while we're speaking about movies, and since we are kind of wrapping up here towards the end, um, I I got to ask a question: How much clout do you guys have at Marvel? Uh, zero. Oh, you yeah. got to tell me you have like one percent clout. No, like, we, like, <laughs> like damn it, negative one percent clout. I, I think maybe, I think maybe if I went into the offices, somebody might like, uh, like if somebody was already going to get coffee, somebody <laughs> might ask me what I wanted <laughs> and ask you for some money, much, or, or do yeah. the uh, I'll buy you fly type thing. Yeah, I think that is how much clout we have at Marvel. Because what I'm really uh, curious about, and like DC has done this already uh, with some of their animated movies, where they've taken some of their popular uh, Batman series and Flash series and animated them. Basically taken the source material and then animated them. 
and then just straight to DVD release or up on Netflix. And I got to imagine that they make a couple of bucks with those. And I'm just wondering, like, why uh, Marvel hasn't done something like that? I mean, there's so much material to draw from. Uh, Superheroes are so hot right now that why not release um, uh, Fall of the Mutants? With with no like backstory and no end story, just like here's Fall of the Mutants in a ninety minute animated version. Don't you think that I would buy it? Right? I mean, so there's one sale, and and, and there is one sale. <laughs> is that the problem? It's just not big time enough. I think I think that is like <laughs> just say it. That's literally the worst idea I've ever heard. They did do that a few years ago, though. Yeah, there, there's that, a Planet Hulk that. animated movie that has Beta Ray Bill and the Silver Surfer right. in it, you know? Yeah. And there's that there's that Hulk versus DVD, remember? That was like Hulk versus uh, Wolverine and Hulk versus Thor. I, yeah, and then no. they did those Ultimates movies. There's like two of those. Yeah, but those aren't are, like, foreseen, you know? And they don't feature enough. Oh, action. you mean like straight adaptations? Like, like straight adaptations. Like New Frontier and yeah. that kind of thing. Which is really not, I guess, like a full on straight up. Yeah. yeah but. Well, I mean, Batman and Son is. Yeah. Or not Batman's Son. Um, what's it called? Under the Red Hood. Yes. Well, yep. All, all Star Superman kind of is too. And they did uh, Batman Year One, and they did uh, Dark Knight yeah, Returns. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's actually that's actually an interesting point. I, I feel like that they. I guess they could. I mean, I guess those. I guess though, if you look at those, like that Ultimates movie they did, the Ultimates animated movie, that's kind of an adaptation of that first Ultimates arc. And Planet Hulk's kind of an adaptation of. Of. I mean, it's a full on adaptation of Planet Hulk. I've always been intrigued by Planet Hulk, but I've just never read any Planet Hulk. I'm talking oh, about... Oh, that's great. really good. That's it's what, really yeah, good. It's what I've heard, but you know, it's one, another one of those things I just haven't gotten around to reading. Yeah. All right, so my animated series, that, or animated movie thing, is probably not going to happen. But I mean, look, we are <laughs> literally the last guys you should be asking why Marvel isn't doing an animated Fall of the Mutants. If they want to if they want to animate X-Men 92, though, we would be more than happy to uh, participate. <laughs> we'll do all the voices. Yeah, exactly. You heard my storm. My storm's great. Yeah. Your storm was fantastic. Adam, do you have any uh, additional questions here? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you. Thanks, you guys, for putting up with us. And uh, and we hope we, we've uh, we hope we've uh, turned a couple of listeners your way. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. I, I we, we hope so as well. So, I mean, we did get a lot of questions. Not, I wouldn't say a lot of, we got, we got a few questions, but again, most of them were surrounded by people asking about X-Men, the animated series. But I, I think we've really... Uh, put uh, the pin in that that I mean X Men '92 is really drawing from all of the 1992 era material, and so it is not a sequel of Jim Lee. It is not a sequel of animated series, but at the same time, it is a sequel of all of those. So, I mean, am I summarizing this correctly? Yeah, I mean, I think the way we described it in the first the first ever interview we did with it is that it's the X Men of that era. Yeah, you know, everything that is the X Men of that era. That's our X-Men fighting something that the X-Men of that era are not supposed to be fighting. Very cool. So I'm going to get this right this time. The digital drops May 26th and the print drops June 24th. That's right. That's it. <laughs> right. And it's going to be, uh, I, I, Chad, am I right in this? It's going to be bi-weekly digitally Ooh. Yeah. Uh, for uh, until it's over. I guess yeah, for, I guess for four months, I guess. Will, will there be poly bags, cards, or foil covers ever? I, I wanted to poly bag the digital. <laughs> I wanted to see if I could figure that out. And, uh, and, and, and not it shouldn't be number one. It should be like number three. Or, right. Or number seven, right? Some oddball one. like Or, or uh, like a double-sized version of like a non-anniversary issue. Something like that. I was going to say, uh, if you guys bring us a, bring us a copy at, at a convention to sign... 
I will glue a trading card to the front of it. Uh, <laughs> we should you. we should get bags. We should get poly bags and like a little <laughs> yeah. heat sealer. Right, oh, and just and seal them up. That'd be funny. So if I bring my, my own collector, my trading cards that I have from 1992, because I still do have them, if I bring those, can you <sighs> can we work on polybagging oh. one of those into an X-Men you 92? Yes, we can, but you don't have to bring them. We've got them. <laughs> we, we have a set that we've been signing. Holy crap, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, when we did uh, Subatomic Party Girls with Erica, uh, that was a you know purely digital comic. We released it only through Comixology. And... We had bonus features, and the joke was that they were bonus features that would only work in a print comic. So there's like paper dolls in one. <laughs> uh, and what was what was the other thing we did? There, I know there's a pinup in one. There's paper dolls in there's one. A, there's a map in one. I think there's like a like a well the the cover had that like that map uh, the, yeah. the the like the the activity sheet. Yeah. <laughs> so like stuff that you could never actually do on your iPad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish we could figure out how to polybag it. I wish we could figure out how to make a digital comic not near mint once you've opened it. Maybe you could do like so a good. mail order thing, like send a posted self-addressed stamped envelope with five dollars. We'll mail you a bag. We'll get some Charleston shoes for Don. Nice. All right, we have been talking here with uh, Chris Sims and Chad Bowers. Uh, thank you again for your time. So, any final comments before we shut this thing down? Uh, uh, thank you for having us and. You know, like I said, uh, if if you have affection for the 90s X-Men, and, and Chad and I certainly do as well, uh, then hopefully you'll enjoy seeing them kind of back dealing with all, all the weird stuff that we're putting them through. Yeah, I mean, I think that sums it up. That's a, that's a, good, that's a good one to go out on. Yeah, great. Well, I know that uh, I am looking forward to issue number one now. So, Adam, why don't you shut this thing down for us? All right. Uh, until next time, the Danger Room is closed. <laughs>